Thank you, Jordan. Good morning again, everyone. Uh, we continue in the book of Joel, um, our message today on verses 1 through 17 of Joel 2 is called Shaken and Stirred. And yes, that is a nod to the departed Sean Connery this week, uh, Shaken and Stirred, as we're going to learn more about God's character from Joel 2. Would you pray with me now? Uh, Jesus, we would ask right now, um, in the complexity of these times, that you would be lifted high through the preaching of these words, that you would take this little book of Joel and make it new again. Teach us, God, what it looks like to rend our heart and not our garments in order to worship you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, By way of illustration to begin, uh, my kids and I, my older kids and I, my teenagers, we've been working out at LA Fitness. And you're like, hey, I don't see it. That's okay. You should see them. They look great. But uh, we go in the mornings and, and... Everybody's got a mask on, and you're doing all the things. You're on the treadmill with the mask. You're lifting weights with the mask, and you're, you know, doing all the things, and it's really, you know, strenuous and breathing hard, and you can almost start to forget about the mask a little bit until you come out of the gym, and that feeling of taking the mask off and getting a big breath of fresh air, it's totally life-giving, and it's... um, An illustration of the way in which, in the book of Joel, God is inviting us as his people to come unmasked, to be free from any pretense, from the way in which that we can often hide ourselves or veil ourselves. God says, take off the mask. I want to see you. I want to do business with your heart. I want to see you change from the inside out. And sometimes that'll look like justice and often it'll look like mercy. But God says it is the only way to be in intimacy with me, your maker. It's hard taking the mask off because for many of us, there's things that we like to cover up. I was reading just today uh, an article, it was actually from the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, about during COVID-19, how uh, our marijuana use as a nation is, is astronomically uh, bumped up. Alcohol addiction is up 14%, binge drinking up 41%, gambling in September alone was $750 million, um, pornography. Uh, the, the writer says there's a drop of people from flourishing to languishing, and then he quotes a 70s doobie brothers album uh, what were once vices are now habits what were once vices are now our habits and that's just personal languishing how about when your nation languages or your government or your city like we look into the world and we see languishing and much like the prophet joel and in this book joel 2 in this chapter rather god speaks loudly i want you unmasked I want you close to me where I can see you and I can love you. I want you to rend your heart and not your garment. We're going to talk more about that. God says, I want your inner faith before your outer obedience. And so drop the mask. Or as Jesus would say, you you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. And so as people of faith, we've always been susceptible to this outward faith and inward decay. And so God wants us to repent of sin and and to bring our whole heart to him. And through confession and worship, we embrace our limitations and we move closer to the heart of God who loves us. So let's look here at, at the first part. Embrace the reality that the world will be shaken. 
In Joel 2, there's a reality. In verse 1, let all who live in the land tremble. Verse 10, before them the earth shakes and the heavens tremble. There's a, there's a trembling nature to when sin takes over the world. Verse 11, the day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? We must embrace the reality that in our fallen world, that the world will shake, that there will be times that seem incredibly dark and that God isn't far from us, but that... Um, we live in a, in a shakable world uh, by shakable governments and shakable, uh, you know, financial security, uh, shakable inner health at times. If we just rely on our own faith, on our own power, on our own goodness, God's like, yeah, you're never going to reach my heart because you live, humans, in a shakable world, but I live in an unshaking world. In Hebrews 12, 27 through 29, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our world will shake and we will shake. We will experience what Joel 2 says is trembling. There's been a lot of trembling this week. A lot of trembling for me personally, even today, personal trembling of just, oh, there's so much brokenness in the world. But what Joel reveals is the notion that the shaking can turn us. Because when we turn from the belief that our world is unshakable, and when we turn to God and repent to God, and we say, God, you have the unshakable kingdom, it wakes us up. We need to be turned. As uh, writer Robert Mulholland says in Invitation to a Spiritual Journey, that turning is necessary. He calls it confrontation. Listen to this. If indeed the world of God's formation in us is the process of forming us in the image of Christ, obviously it's going to take place at the points where we are not yet formed in his image. This means that one of the first dynamics of holistic spiritual formation will be confrontation. When we respond to the confrontation of the spirit at the point of our brokenness with a consecration that allows God to do the work God wants to do. And when we begin to experience the reality of being formed in the image of Christ. Many, many, many of us, we're experiencing this confrontation collectively, individually. And God invites himself into that space and he calls it repentance. He says, don't be scared. Last week, we talked about the power of lament. And in lament, we say, God, I'm hurting. But in repentance, we say, God, I'm wrong. Or God, we're wrong. Or God, something's wrong and we're sorry. And repentance only happens because God is merciful. When he says, yeah, take the masks off. God says, I want to restore you. That's what Joel 2 just paints a picture, that unrepentant hearts are missing the invitation to intimacy. And you'll see both sides of God's character here in Joel 2. Listen at verse 10 and 11 of Joel 2. Before them of this army of locusts, or does the army transcend from locusts into an earthly army? Scholars are, are divided. But before whatever this bad thing that's coming at the beginning of Joel 2, before them the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. And then listen to this, verse 11, Joel 2, the Lord thunders, where? At the head of his army. That's a troubling verse. It's a bit scary. 
that the Lord is at the head of this army that's coming to deal with an unrepentant nation. But maybe it gives us hope that God, the holy and righteous one, puts unrighteous things to death. And God will call people back to repentance. And so as followers of God, we gotta, we gotta long for the emptiness in order to be filled with God. We have to know that darkened times where it feels like our world is shaking are specifically the times that we can lean on the unshakable one. The God who is calling us back in love to say, I want all of your heart. Drop the mask. And there are times when dealing with me might feel like I'm angry, but I just want to be close to you. This week, um, we went out for a bike ride, like a late night kind of uncharacteristic bike ride with uh, some of my kids. And, and, and my daughter and I were riding together and it was kind of a sweet moment. We're riding safely, helmets and all that. But she reached out, she said, hold my hand. I'm holding her hand. And I'm riding my bike and it's in the dark and she's holding her hand. And she said, you remember that time a couple weeks ago when we were on a walk and, and I almost got hit by a car because my skateboard went in the street? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, you seemed really mad at me then. She was going back a couple weeks. We were holding hands. She was going back to a time that I seemed really angry. And I said, honey, I was not angry with you. No, I was angry at the situation that I didn't want you to get hurt from. And so I... I reared up and I yelled and I made sure the car could see you because nothing, I didn't want anything to harm you. We live in at times a dangerous world, a shakable world, and God wants to get our attention to wake us up. So look at the second point of of our outline here, that as Christians, we're called to build our lives on that which is unshakable. Our hope is meant to be aimed at that which is unshakable, the life in Christ. Verse 12 and 14, Jordan read it for us, but I'm going to read it again because these words are so evocative and so beautiful. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with your heart and your fasting and your weeping and your mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and he relents from sinning calamity. Who knows the rhetorical question is beautiful here. He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Like this is staggering because verse 11, the Lord is leading the army and verse 14, the Lord is leaving for us an offering. The Lord is relenting. How did we get there? If we're willing to turn and build our life, and to give God our whole heart, to come unmasked, to drop the pretense and say, God, there's something in me that's hurting. There's something in me that's not right. There's something in us that's not right. God, use this brokenness in order to fill us with more of you. Can this time lead us to more of a hunger for God in our lives? And God is saying here in verse 13, your heart matters more than your outward actions. So rend your heart and not your garments. Ancient Israel would rend their garments, which means they would tear their garments. If something happened, they would tear up their, you know, they would sit in sackcloth and ashes. They would tear up their clothes. They would sit in ash for up to a week at times. And God's like, you know, that's not actually what I need right now. I want your heart. I want your unmasked heart. I want you to rend your heart to me. And so as I studied this week, I was like, 
Rend, not a word I use all the time. I kind of went to render, like when you render and you kind of cook or you render service, it's a softer word. But rend means to tear something into two. It's a snapping teeth that would rend human flesh to shreds, to split, to severe, to to sever rather, to, to wrench violently, to cause great pain. God, what in the world? You want that from my heart? This is an honest word. God is like, I know faith is hard. I know it won't come natural. And when the world is shaking, believe me, says God, my kingdom is unshakable. And your heart, says God, is the place where I want you to give it to me completely. And so the heart, our place of deep affection, that God is inviting us to love him with all of our heart, to to make a relationship of intimacy with this unshaking foundation upon which we build our lives. And when we have this posture, we understand that everything in the world is tenuous. Everything. Ask any survivors of grief. They will tell you when we've been through hard times that the, the, the illusion of control is simply that. It's an illusion. The cancer diagnosis, the empty bank account, the failing business, the dying child, you name it. It's an illusion. We want to believe that what we see around us is unshakable. No. Our world shakes. And God is saying, I want your faith in me to to be built on on my unshaking character. And he acknowledges this process won't be easy. And so rend your heart. Continue to turn towards me and break off those places that are just given over to other idols or other pursuits or other comforts and turn to me again and again and again. And it won't be easy. Uh, There's this quote that somebody shared recently I just love, that God is faithful and he will do what is necessary to craft real faith in us. Faith isn't natural for us. It's not natural for us to rest our entire past, present, and future on someone we cannot hear, see, or touch. Doubt is natural. Envy is natural. Fear is natural. Worry is natural. Trying to figure out what's coming next is natural. Trusting our own strength and wisdom is natural, but faith is not natural for us. And so God works in sanctifying grace to turn baby believers into mature people of faith. He will not relent until that work is complete. Nothing can stop the move of his transforming grace. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is holy and just. And our God is calling to us from Joel 2 to rend our hearts. It's a timely reminder that God isn't at all interested in our outward shows of piety. He's interested in the condition of our hearts. And and for many, they start leaving the church because they see religious activities, but what they're really looking for is rendered hearts. Hearts given over completely to King Jesus. And when a community can rend their hearts collectively, we find community, not in our similarities, but in our high king of heaven. And so when we rend our hearts, we're saying, God, I believe in you so much that I want to use this time to turn my heart again and again and again to you in worship, in praise, in confession, in fasting, in lament, in repentance, in saying, God, Turn me back to you. It's amazing. 
Ancient Israel thought, oh, if God's man, let's get busy doing the right things externally. Let's show them how sorry we are by, by tearing our clothes or, or by doing religious services or even weeping. Ancient Israel often confused her performance of outward religious actions with a heart change. And so when things are bad, they'd go through the checklist in search of what they weren't doing because the belief was if you're doing the right things, God will intervene and return things to normal. God just breaks through that over and over again in the scriptures. Amos 5, take away the noise of your songs. Isaiah 58, I don't need a fast unless it's accompanied with justice. Later in the New Testament, I don't need you to tithe your spices to show me you love me. In every case, God's saying, I need your hearts. He doesn't want our church attendance or our commitment to sexual purity or our giving or family devotions or our personal quiet time as a transaction to say, okay, God, I've done my part. Now it's your turn. No, God wants hearts that are deeply in love with Christ and seeking intimacy with Christ because when intimacy with Christ happens in the heart, the right actions will flow from that. When intimacy with Christ happens in the heart, right actions will flow from that. That's the truth in relationships. It's not the outward action that matters most, but the inner position of the heart that matters most. It's never about taking the garbage out or date nights or toothpaste on the sink. It's beneath that. Do I have your heart? Do you have mine? Are we in this for forever? And sadly for many of us, broken human love relationships with our parents, with ourselves, with somebody around us, we've seen love break down. And so we no longer know how to connect with God from a posture of trust. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He loves you infinitely. His, his only request, share this love story with me. Not a transaction. No, you were made for intimacy. You were made for intimacy. And I last week told a marriage story of kind of blowing it. And I, I could tell these every week, actually. But there was this really bad fight one time. And my wife was in bed with the migraine. And she wanted soup made for her. And I was annoyed because I was caring for the kids. And I was mowing the yard. And I was doing all the things. And now she wants soup. How dare she? She's only in bed with a migraine, you jerk. And, you know, we get into this argument. And I'm, you know, telling her, I took care of the kids. And I mowed the yard. And I did the things. And she just turns to a pile of tears. She says, none of your actions matter. I just want to know that I matter to you right now. I want your heart. God is asking and inviting us, drop the mask and turn your heart for him. And I know that we are carrying a lot of grief around our nation and our city. There's all sorts of fears. Even as we preach this message, we're not exactly sure of what this week holds. But may we never forget that King Jesus is inviting us unmasked into his presence. He's calling us to just be with him. We don't have to perform. We don't have to do the things. He just wants our hearts. And from that position where he can see us face to face, unmasked, he'll call us to make changes. He'll call for obedience. He'll convict of places that we've grown cold. But he says, start with this posture first of love and adoration. If you're new to the faith, start there. 
What do you want Jesus to do for you? Are you ready to give him your heart? If you've been a disciple for a while and maybe you're hearing this message from the lens of our nation, what is God asking you to do for the sake of our country in prayer or petition or fasting? If you're hearing it from a lens of personal obedience, please know that God is worried about sinful behavior only to the fact that it's a mask that hides you from him. He wants you to be in his presence. Verse 17 of Joel 2, let the priest who minister before the Lord weep between the portico and the altar. Let him weep and let them say, spare your people, Lord. Don't make your inheritance an object of scorn or a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? I've been weeping this week as your pastor. I've been fasting. I've been praying. I want to lead this charge for us that we would be a community that knows how to repent and worship and look at brokenness around us and see a place for faith to grow. May our hearts be stirred. May our love be awoken. May we rend our lives to him. Bethany North, may our hearts be stirred. May our love be awoken. May we rend our lives to him. I'm going to call the band back up, the small and beautiful band that led us so beautifully in worship this morning, beautiful voices. Um, what we're going to do here as we go into our final song is we're going to pray a prayer of confession. It's not something that we often do at Bethany. We do once in a while, a liturgical prayer of confession. And we're going to put the words on the screen. And the invitation is for all of you that are watching that you would read these words out loud as well. That this would be a moment in, even as you read, that you would turn to prayer. That we, you would rend your hearts as you confess and turn every hurt right now, personal and collective, individual and national, as an opportunity for your heart to grow in worship to your high king of heaven. Unmasked, let us pray. Eternal God, in whom we live and move and have our being, whose face is hidden from us by our sins and whose mercy we forget in the blindness of our hearts, cleanse us from all our offenses and deliver us from proud thoughts and vain desires that with reverent and humble hearts we may draw near to you, confessing our faults, confiding in your grace, and finding in you our refuge and strength through Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Let's